Our text for today comes from Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through 36. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world. For the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come in all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Shocking imagery, correct? Kind of shocking. Uh, People fainting from terror, apprehension about the conditions of this world, political upheaval, complexity, brokenness, and trouble everywhere we look. Merry Christmas. All right? That's how it works. Uh, If you came to church this Sunday, on this first Sunday of Advent, and you were looking for warm Christmas feelings, that warm Christmas blanket thrown over your shoulders, you wanted to rest your slippered feet up against the fireplace with a warm cup of cocoa in your hands, the words of Jesus this morning don't necessarily put you in that frame of reference, do they? Because... uh, because the, the Christmas stuff, right, the, the peace on earth and the goodwill towards men, the silent night, the holy night, are all kind of missing from this passage of Scripture. Now, all of that stuff is great and good, uh, and I do not want to uh, mess with any of your good family Christmas experiences I'm not trying to throw cold water on Christmas this morning, but for thousands of years, Christians have realized something about this holiday we call Christmas or Advent. They have realized that this season, commonly called Advent, which is just a Latin word, which means uh, the coming or the coming of the Lord, is not only about the first time that God came to us in Jesus' birth, but it is also about when Emmanuel will come to be with his creation once more in the second coming of Jesus. Christmas is about both of those things. The first time Jesus came as a baby, correct? And the second time Jesus will come as a king. And Christmas is meant to remind us of that fact. This is what Jesus is talking about in this passage of Scripture. He's talking about his return. He's specifically addressing his second coming, his second advent. And he describes what the world will look like when he returns. And here's what he says in verse 25. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, from the hev- for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. So in the time after Jesus' death and resurrection, before he returns, This is what the world would look like. And it sounds to me 
a little bit familiar of what the world sometimes feels like now, doesn't it? Have you looked at the news lately? Have you paid attention to, the his, to history in any way, shape, or form? Our world is currently and has been filled with apprehension, with terror that often makes us feel like the foundations of our very world, our very society, are being shaken. This is almost a common position for the world to be in. Now, Jesus does not tell us, and I want to be clear about this, he does not tell us that we can try and predict his coming or to point, or that we are to point at the trouble and the pain of the world like they're tea leaves and try to figure out what is going on. That's not what Jesus says here at all. He is simply stating that in the time before he returns as king, the world will be in a state of upheaval and difficulty, just like it is now. But notice what Jesus says the great temptation of this time is. His concern is not so much the conditions of the world, but what the conditions of the world do to his people. And in the face of all the pain and the difficulty and the trouble that exists in the world before his coming, the great temptation of our time and the great temptation of the church is to be lulled to sleep by it or to be numbed out by it, he says. And notice in this passage of scripture, Jesus lays out two primary ways that we are numbed out or we are lulled to sleep or we are distracted even from the brokenness of our world. And the first way he points out that this happens is that we medicate our dysfunction. We medicate our dysfunction. To medicate the pain of the world is to turn a blind eye to what God is doing all around us and to just simply get kind of sleepy, caught up in all of the things that keep us from paying attention to what is actually going on. First, he says in verse 37 that this happens through drunkenness and carousing. Carousing is an old word, one that I'm trying to bring back, all right? We need a little bit, honestly, a little bit more carousing wouldn't be a bad thing, to, if I'm being honest. No. Uh, but Jesus says, calls this drunkenness and carousing. But I would add to this list of distractions in our day all of the things that we use to kind of medicate our dysfunction or, or to push away the difficulty that we see in the world. I would add to this list things like consumerism or materialism, right? This is all of the ways that we look at the brokenness of the world and we just kind of throw up our hands. And we decide that it is all too difficult, and it is all too terrible. And like the ancient Epicureans, we just decide to eat, drink, and be merry because we know we're just going to die tomorrow anyway. And we jump headlong into all the surface-level stuff in order to try to make us feel good in the short run or for a period of time. And I just want to point out to you this morning that this is the way that most Westerners celebrate Christmas. This is how most in the West use Christmas. Basically, we use it as an, uh, as an opportunity to medicate or distract ourselves with Christmas parties and Christmas music, and especially with the purchase of material goods, thinking that those things will in some way make us feel better. But it never works, does it? I've mentioned this in previous years, but after the holiday season, mental health professionals notice a significant uptick in people reporting feelings of depression. Why is that? Why is that? 
this just shows us that all the holiday joy and the tinsel and the, and the, special, uh, and the special activities and the libations are just a thin veneer covering over the brokenness and pain that we all experience. Instead of facing that difficulty and that pain, we just try to medicate it. But when the medication wears off, we realize that the malady is still present. The malady is still present. The truth of the matter is, is that we can't avoid the state of the world that Jesus talks about in this passage. We can't simply sweep it under the rug. Jesus tells his followers that they must be observant, wakeful, watchful, sober-minded in such a way as that they can face the pain and difficulty of this world with hope. You see, there's too many of us, too often, especially in the season of Christmas, who use it as a means of forgetting the pain and difficulty of our own lives. And Jesus wants to call us into something better. So that's the first thing. The second way that we distract ourselves from the brokenness of the world in this passage is that we are captured by anxiety. We are captured by our own anxiety. At the end of verse 34, Jesus mentions it. He says the people who have been made sleepy by the anxieties of life. Have any of you ever been caught in an anxiety spiral before? Maybe one of those things that keeps you up late at night. Maybe it just paralyzes you in the moment. I remember a couple of years back, I knew that I, was in a, I had, had been kind of given over to anxiety because the alternator went out in our van, and, and uh, the kind of normal thing to have happen, and I knew exactly how to address this situation. You take it to the mechanic, and the mechanic fixes the alternator, but I found myself totally locked up, right, unable to make a decision about which mechanic to actually take my car to because I was so paralyzed by the anxiety of an alternator being, uh, being out in a van. And Ashley looked at me and said, just take it in. <laughs> I said, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. But we've all been caught in an anxiety spiral, right? Where you, you are simply worried about maybe, maybe it's one thing or maybe it's everything. Every simple problem in your life becomes another excuse to stay up at night worrying, right? We live in an anxiety-soaked culture today in America. In other places in the scriptures, Jesus calls anxiety toiling or spinning. And when we are in our anxiety, it often, I think, a helpful image is that it looks like one of those tops that spins. You know, when you were a kid, you had a top and it, you would spin it. There's a lot of energy in a top. There's a lot of movement, right? But it doesn't go anywhere. It just spins and spins and spins in one place until eventually it falls over which is what happens to us, right? And Jesus says that anxiety in a very real way can keep us distracted or insulated from the truth, right? Distracted or insulated from the truth. And I want to be as clear as possible with this this morning. For some of you, anxiety is the greatest robber of your peace and joy, full stop. But also... And I think this is where we, where we kind of need to land the ship today. It's also a robber of your clarity and of your ability to grasp the truth. Because there is so much energy being expended looking at and worrying about yourself and the things that affect your life 
that you are unable to grasp what is going on around you. You are drained by anxiety of your ability to see how God might be positioning you to love other people and not just worry about your own stuff. But notice here, notice in this passage, the invitation that Jesus extends to all of us this morning. And I believe that this is the same invitation that Jesus extends to us in this season, this Christmas season, the season of Advent. It is an invitation to wakefulness or expectancy. The, the antidote to all of the ways that we medicate or, or are, are captured by our anxiety, all of the ways that we distract ourselves from the brokenness of, of the world, is to be countered with a kind of wakefulness or an expectancy. You see, I believe the Spirit is extending an invitation to each of us to wakefulness. Wakefulness sounds good, right? Many of us have that, I don't know, 15 to 3 hour period in the morning after we've woken up and before the coffee hits where wakefulness just does not seem accessible, right? But Jesus is calling his people to a kind of wakefulness and expectancy to begin in this season, I think, to cast off all of the things that medicate us or keep us distant from the truth. Maybe for you that thing is a video game. Maybe it's alcohol or the pursuit of some material goods. Maybe it's the pursuit of a job. For all of us, I'm sure that God is calling us in our own little ways to lay down some anxiety in our lives, something that we've been spiraling about. Worry about the house, worry about the kids, worry about retirement, worry about inflation, right? Lord, help us. And our own particular political affiliations. We worry about all these things. And instead of medicating ourselves and instead of giving over into these anxieties, God is calling us into a hopeful engagement with the brokenness of the world. And we can be hopeful in our engagement with the world specifically because we have hope in the return of Jesus. It is the engine that allows us and carries us out into the world, not as a people medicating ourselves, not as a people trying to hide ourselves away from the brokenness of, of the world, but people who can move out into the world of a, as agents of renewal and reconciliation because the brokenness is not the end of the story. This makes sense? You see, if we forget that Jesus is coming again, we can very easily just fall into despondency. We can fall into a position where we just assume that everything that has happened and will happen is going to happen, and then we all just kind of let it wash over us, and we don't live lives of hope. But hope is exactly what we're called to, and it's exactly the emphasis of the Christmas season. You see, we're called to hope into the, hopefully look into the brokenness of our world and believe that in that place we can find God working. We can find the Spirit moving. And we can know, and we can know that everything is going to be all right. Everything is not all right, but everything will be. You know, I think we forget very often that when Jesus came into the world in his birth, in his in his first coming, in his first advent, it was not all peace and quiet. We like that story, and it's, it's true to a certain extent, and we're going to celebrate it on Christmas Eve. But the story of Jesus' birth 
doesn't begin in a manger, does it? It begins with a long period of anticipation and hope. It often begins with a cry of injustice, even. Remember that as, at Jesus' birth, he was, he was chased by a genocidal maniac, right? This, and in the life of Jesus' family, his, the anticipation of his birth was not necessarily peaceful or quiet. Mary had nine months of uncertainty on her hands, didn't she? For Joseph, it was nine months of trying to figure out how to make a pregnancy that looked like a scandal work within his community, right? Israel itself had been waiting for the coming of this prophesied Messiah for countless generations with longing and anticipation and what seemed like numerous letdowns. And in the midst of all of that waiting was the temptation to grow sleepy and distracted. But Advent reminds us that just like the birth of Jesus signaled the coming of hope into the world, in the same way, we are called to wait actively and expectantly for his return. This is how the uh, pastor and scholar Fleming Rutledge puts it. The life of the Christian church is located and lived at the intersection of those two Advents. In the meantime, we stay awake like doorkeepers by watching for signs of his presence in the most unlikely places and the most unlikely people. It will be a surprise every time, but we will be ready to recognize him when he makes himself known. You see, in this season of Christmas, there is an invitation to live expectantly. Expectantly for the coming of Jesus, yes, but also expectantly and wakefully that God is at work all around us. As we live into this season of time, into the season we call Advent, we live into it as an invitation to wakefulness and watchfulness and hopefulness, looking for signs of his kingdom and the work of the Holy Spirit, even amid the brokenness of our world knowing that Jesus told us that he, we would live in a world that looked like this world, correct? He didn't pull any punches about the fact that in this world you will have trouble, did he? He didn't, he didn't gloss over the fact that there would be problems. And yet, he said, I have overcome the world and do not lose hope. We hope for a coming for an advent that we do not see. And even amid the difficulty of your life and my life, the calling is for a kind of watchfulness, a kind of wakefulness, a posture of Christian being that calls us into something higher and something better. Now, how in the world do we cultivate that type of life? That's the question, right? How do we live watchful and wakeful lives when the world we live in is constantly trying to lull us to sleep? I don't know about you, but I had a fair amount of tryptophan on Thursday, and it lulled me to sleep, literally, right? We live in a world of plenty, don't we? We live in a world of too much. 
We live in a, we live in a gaudy world. And our challenge in the United States is not uh, the challenge of lack. It is the challenge of abundance. And as we head into this Christmas season, the most countercultural, the most formative thing Christians can do is live in a way that doesn't give in to that culture of abundance. Does that make sense? I don't mean like abundance of joy and abundance of love. I mean like abundance of junk, right? Ashley and I were driving uh, in West Des Moines on Friday, coming home from Thanksgiving, and we saw another one of these monstrosities being built in the suburbs because we needed to stop by a Chipotle because we don't have a Chipotle in this town, and it's a must all the time if we drive past one. But we saw one of these monstrous cold storage units being built in West Des Moines. Have any of you seen these, right? What these are are monoliths to our abundance in America. We have so much stuff that there is now a booming industry of huge multi-story buildings being built to keep all the stuff that you will never see climate-controlled and away from pests, right? In the most wealthy parts of our state and of our world, there are more of these cold storage things being built every day because people are just trying to find out. I can't keep all my stuff in my house. I got to put it somewhere else, right? You see, we are medicating the brokenness of our world, aren't we? We're, we are medicating something in ourselves, and we need, we need to accept the invitation of Jesus to live in a different way. Amen? We need, to, it, it, we need to accept the invitation of Jesus to come to this Christmas season, not, not participating in everything that, the, that culture tells us we need to participate in at Christmas. And there are disciplines, both of spirit and of mind, that can lead us more towards hope and less towards the medic medication of our own lives. I don't know what that means for you. Maybe it means that Christmas looks a little different this year. Maybe it means we downsize the amount of gifts we give, right? Maybe it means we, give, we spend a little bit less money on ourselves and we begin to give a little bit more to someone else. Maybe we give peop to people who are specifically in need. Maybe this Christmas we volunteer somewhere and we get close to people who don't have the abundance we have in order to teach ourselves that, it is, that man does not live by bread or 3,000 piece Legos alone, right? But that we, we live off the steam of our proximity to Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we live off the hope of the return of Jesus and that all of the stuff we accumulate, though some stuff is good, I'm not saying stuff is necessarily bad, all of the stuff we accumulate can easily become an idol that distracts us from the brokenness of our world and the brokenness of our heart, own hearts. And what Jesus asks of us in this season is to look not to the, the accoutrements of the season, but rather to look to him and to look to his coming as a means of staying wakeful and watchful and discipling our hearts away from the cultures of this world that would pull us in those directions and towards an unassuageable hope in his return, and of his making all things new. This is what Christmas 
is all about. And this Christmas, as a church, our book of the month this month is uh, a collection of poems by a, uh, by a poet, a British poet named Malcolm Gite. Malcolm Gite is a uh, priest in the Anglican Church in England, and he's put together this collection of poems. And there's a poem a day for Advent and actually through the season of Advent and into uh, the, a little bit more of the Christian year. But a great devotional is to read a, a poem a day through the season of Advent. Uh, and today's poem is for Advent Sunday, the, the first Sunday of Advent. And it's by uh, Christina Rossetti. If you have a bulletin, this poem is actually in your bulletin, so you could take it out and read along. But I figured today, as we close out this day, we would read a poem about the beauty and the power of Jesus' return, and that by reading these beautiful words, it would infuse our hearts with hope, and by that infusion of hope, it would give us a kind of strength to live different lives in our world this Christmas season. All right? All right. So I'm going to do my best to recite a poem in front of you, and I'm nervous about it, so just give me grace. All right? Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out with lighted lamps and garlands round about, to meet him in a rapture with a shout. It may be at the midnight, with black as pitch, earth shall cast upon her poor, cast upon her rich. It may be at the crowing of the cock, earth shall upheave her depth, uproot her rock. For lo, the bridegroom uh, fetcheth home the bride. His hands are hands she knows, she knows his side. Like pure Rebecca, at the anointed place, veiled she unveils her face to meet his face. Like Queen Esther in her triumphing, she triumphs in the presence of her king. His eyes are as doves, and she's dove-eyed. She knows his lovely mirror, sister, bride. He speaks with dove voice of exceeding love, and she with love voice of an answering dove. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go we out with lamps ablaze and garlands round about to meet him in a rapture and with a shout. Would you stand with me this morning as we pray? Father, we come before you this morning as a people just awash in all of the things that our culture says Christmas and our lives should be about. And we know that so often we can medicate ourselves with big football games and, and, uh, and big gifts and seasonal feelings and Hallmark movies and cookies and the smell of the oven. And not that any of those things are particularly bad, only to the extent that they distract us from the beauty of who you are. And so, Jesus, this Christmas season, God, we pray that you would fill our hearts with a hope that abounds, a life that overflows with the joy and the wakefulness and the power of the Holy Spirit, lives that are captured and captivated by the beauty of a God who will come again to this world to set it to rights as its true and rightful king. Would you establish that hope deep in our hearts? Would we be found as people rooted in that reality? And would we stand this Christmas season 
as a people of hope, not for ourselves, but for our community and for the world. And we pray it all this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. Well, thanks for being at church today. Uh, Go today in the hope of this Christmas season. Amen.